Hey, hey, everybody. Uh, you, you've noticed that uh, after being back for like three weeks, he's gone again. I don't think we're ever going to see him again. I, I don't know like what's up with that. I mean, he's not paid or anything. He just shows up and we just throw him a bone and let him do the intro. But like, yeah, he's gone again. Oh, well, well, maybe he'll come back sometime. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Chris O'Mealy. This is Dan Peck. And this is Talk of Talkies, a show where we talk talkies. That's what we do. That is the thing that we do. Uh, this is season two kicking off here. Season two, episode two. Oh, man. This is actually episode 54 overall. And uh, I want to thank you guys for continuing to support Talkin' Talkies. And a shout out to Podcasts of Pennsylvania for continuing to help host our show. And to, uh, you Do know. have a tagline? Do have to get on Decker on that to get a tagline for Podcast of Pennsylvania? I don't know. I don't know if they do, but yeah, we, we might have to get on him about that. Because Giant Media Ball is Giant Ball Media Media. Without the fleas. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's, that's not something I'm aware of. By the way, of. we are quickly approaching one year on the Giant Media Ball. That's awesome. Because it was like right before February 7th. Because it was like the big... The big reveal, whatever, like the official official thing, was for February seventh. So it's getting close to a year. It's getting close. Yeah, one year on the giant media ball, and we're just gonna keep rolling. Things are just gonna keep getting bigger and better. And you know who what knows time what it we'll is next year? Vader's time. Oh, you know, we just keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is? Oh, that time. Yeah, that's disappointing. Uh, this movie here is Scarface with Al Pacino, and this was a request from listener Jan Batista. Oh! Big, big Dave's cousin. Come on, really. now! <laughs> oh, wrong, wrong Pacino. Oh, yeah. What should do a man? That's the one. Yes, the, uh, the Razor Ramon inspired. This town's like a big old pussy, ready to get fucked. <laughs> How'd you get a scar like that? Pussy. Or on the TV version, pineapple. Well. How'd you get a scar eating pineapple? It's a hell of a way to eat pineapple. <laughs> it would mean you would eat it with the rind on. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <clears throat> All right, so let's talk about Scarface. Uh, movie takes place in 1980, three years before it was actually released. And it's following the story of a Cuban refugee named Antonio Montana. Or Tony, for short, as he's called. Now, of course, it's Al Pacino playing who Al Pacino considers his favorite character of all time. And where do they arrive? Well, where else but Miami, Florida? Because as, that's where all the Cuban... old Italian man plays a young Cuban. Yeah, because uh, this is where all the Cuban refugees ended up when they came over to America. They had that deal with Castro where he, uh, a whole bunch of them came over, but unfortunately, a lot of them came over with criminal records, which is why the uh, drug cartels found their way to Miami. So this isn't necessarily a true story, but it's highly influenced by true It's a events. thing that totally could have happened, maybe. Yes. Um, so he's living in this refugee camp, and he's there with it's his buddy. Town or whatever. Yeah, something like that. And uh, his buddy Sutter and Overpass. <laughs> um, he's there with a whole bunch of his buddies. They've got uh, Stephen Bauer's character, which is Manny, uh, Angel, Pepe Serna's character, 
And then Angel Salazar playing Chi-Chi. And they actually get released from this camp in exchange for assassinating a former Cuban government official. And that was at the request of who else but Robert Loja. Can you spell that for me? Sure, it's R as in Robert Loja. O as in, oh look, there's Robert Loja. Uh, he plays Frank Lopez, who is the drug dealer of the story. And as a result of this, they're given their green cards. So, hey, you, you kill this guy, and you become Americans. I kill communists for fun. Yeah, that's a big that's a big thing in this character. That's, like, the one thing he likes. He likes killing people. But this guy, I'll carve him up real nice. But he only likes killing people that deserve it. Like, he, he says, you don't, I only fuck with people who have fucked with me. You know, if, if, anybody who had it coming to them, that's all he does. That's a big plot point for later on. So, they become dishwashers and end up quitting because they're checking out the ladies that are going around. And they end up meeting up with Frank and his henchman, Omar. And he's like, hey, I'm going to set up a deal for you guys. Because what else are you going to do as a refugee? You, you can either wash dishes or you can work with us. Drug bosses. Pretty much. So he's got to exchange money for some yayo. Yes, some yayo, as they call it. Um, he's and going this is to. This a famous scene. <laughs> Why is this the famous scene? It's a chainsaw scene, bro. Yeah. Oh my god, this scene. So. Basically, what he's going to do is he's going to purchase the cocaine from the Colombian dealers. So they meet up at this hotel. I hate, Colum- I hate Colombians, man. <laughs> yeah, I hate Colombians, man. So the, what? He uh, his two guys stay out in the car. He goes up there with Angel, but they get ambushed and the whole deal falls apart. Because you know you got the money. You no, know, I don't got the money. You got the stuff. No, I don't have the stuff. So, of course, everything falls apart right then and there because nobody wants to be played for saps. So they actually, kind of gross, they actually tie up Angel in the bathroom and just dismember him with a chainsaw. Right in front of Tony's room. Right, right in front it's of like Tony. two feet away. But, uh, fortunately, the two guys, after, like, sitting out in the car for a long period of time and, like, hitting on this random lady that comes up to the car, finally realize something's gone wrong. So, you know, suspecting that this was a big betrayal by Omar, they go up there and they take everybody out. And the guy tries to escape. <laughs> and he kills him right in the street. Headshot or between the eyes, bro. Yeah, with everybody witnessing. Oh, yeah, pick up the yayo. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, so that's it. Because he, he swings around in the car, he grabs his guys, the one guy's wounded. And it's like, oh, don't forget the Yayo, and they just throw it in the back, too. And in so this way, they come back with the money and the drugs. So they're, like, the best henchmen ever. Yep. And they deliver it personally to Frank, so now he's like, man, you know, you're going to make it big in, this, in this, this business. And, of course, this is when we also meet Elvira, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and, of course, Tony's checking her out. So we all know what's going to happen there. But yeah, so uh, Tony and Manny, they get hired. So good for them. But uh, 
Good for them. Well, they, they start. he starts making good, and a couple months later, he goes to visit his mother and his sister to show them that he, his little, you know, your little boy made it. And he gives them $1,000, but his mother doesn't want anything to do with it because of how he got the money. His sister's super happy to see him and, like, wants to hang out with him and everything. Yeah. And that, well, Manny really wants to hang out with her. No, she not for you, man. She not for you, man. She not for I, you, man. I love all the the G's at the end of everything. Because yeah. one of one of the one of the trivia points in the movie that I really got a kick out of uh, the, the scene where he's in the bathtub. Yeah, you know, see, I'm talking about. He, he says, uh, "Look at them pelicans fly." That was the line that he used with his acting coach, so he could get the Cuban accent right. Look at them pelicans fly. <laughs> well, you got to practice somehow. I guess it works. So <clears throat> Frank sends Tony and Omar down to Bolivia so they can meet Alejandro Sosa, who is the kingpin. And, of course, Omar's trying to work this deal out, but Tony's got his own plan. So he's going to work out his own deal. And every time he says something, Omar's like, would you shut your mouth? I'm here to do the talking. Yeah, yeah, sure. You got this. And then, like, immediately he starts talking again. But he gets him a better deal. <laughs> he, he gets him a great deal. And Sosa says, well, Omar was actually a police informant. So he has Tony watch him get beaten and then hung from, an, from a helicopter. Yeah. Which is pretty much uh, saying, hey, I'm going to agree to this deal, but if you betray me, that's going to happen to you. Yeah. Because, again, this is about... stuff. Well, you know, Dan and I have both watched The Sopranos. We we all know what happens when you get involved in crime like this. There's... There are friends, but there's... It's very, very hard to figure out who they are. And some people will turn on you in an instant. Heel turn. The Double big heel. heel turn. The big yes, the big heel turn. <clears throat> so of course Frank is really upset about what happened to, with Omar and everything that happened here. So Tony's like, "All right, then I'm just gonna go and do my own thing." He's like, "No." And he's like, "Oh yeah." Pretty much, yeah. So he, uh, he, <clears throat> what happens next is the, uh, the, the big scene that leans up to, <laughs> that leads up to Frank's big death. Um, he goes to the nightclub to hang out and he tries to hit on, his, he tries to hit on the girl. And he also gets pissed off because he sees that, uh, Gina's there, his sister. And he doesn't like the fact that she's being groped by a guy. So she make he, he of course, this is kind of his fault. He makes Manny take her home. And he's he's like, come on, man, you know. Oh, and he meets up with uh with Mel, the the informant. He's trying to get him to make this deal with him. And he's so you know, he's he hits on Frank's girl, he turns down this deal, his sister gets attacked, so He's just kind of hanging out in the club watching this uh, this really weird, like, vaudeville type guy who's like, 
like wearing a mask and he's doing like a fat dance and everything. And while this whole dance, well, he's got the padding and everything. But while this is going on, there's two hitmen there who raise up their guns and their hidden in their napkins and they just open fire on Tony. But it's okay because the big padded dancers in the way who Tony hides behind. And uh, he escapes from the club after he shoots and kills the guys. Yeah. He and like, well, like he shoots the he shoots the one guy and he starts shooting up and he takes down the lighting fixtures, which takes them both out. Classic. That's when he, well, that's when he goes back and uh, confronts Frank over everything that happened. Because he's convinced that this is the, the guy who sent him there. Yeah, and he's there. Well, he's right because he's there with the cop. So of course Frank, you know, he tries to weasel his way out of it, and Tony kills him. Tony kills the cop, and then the third guy he offers him a job. Hey man, you want a job? You want a job, man? Oh, sh- sure, Tony. Thank you. So. Tony gets married. He becomes the dealer. We get the awesome push it to the limits montage. Oh, montages. Yes, and it's great because it's it's great 80s music, which I love. The entire soundtrack's awesome. And I'm like, oh, that's why that song was in GTA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's why that song's there. Because, like, for the most part, like, the songs don't really fit with the kind of movie it is, but it's just because of the setting. This is, like, a bloody bunch of people die, human pizza, and then you're like, there's this nice pop song from the 80s, because that's where it is. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so we're, uh... We we go through the next three years, and we catch up to present day 1983, because, uh, now Tony's got this multi-million dollar empire and well, he's, now he's got, got the money and he's got the power then yeah. you get that and he's got the woman but that's the problem is the guy the the guy that works at the bank that he's laundering the money through is worried that he's going to keep going through his stash because him and his wife use the cocaine and what happens when you're a drug lord who keeps going from your own stash even though that was one of the rules uh you become paranoid as hell but you know what he was right to be paranoid as hell. Well, no, he, he was definitely right. <laughs> so so everything starts to fall apart now because he got this guy wanting a greater percentage and you got Manny getting upset because Tony's trying to take sole credit for all of their success. This, of course, leads to a sting operation. And Tony gets charged with money laundering and tax evasion. So, of course, Sosa's going to bail him out, but the first thing he's got to do is he's got to kill a journalist. And the journalist is going to give this big speech, and he's going to expose Sosa. So, I tell you what, you uh, you take this guy out for me, and uh, my guys will work with you. So we go to New York. And then this is the, this is the big moment where the journalist comes out, and he gets in his car, and they got the bomb underneath. And then the guy picks up his wife and his kids. Even though every day that they've been scouting him, the wife and kids have been in a separate car. And Tony is not that type of a murderer. He's not going to just murder. He's not going to murder no wife and kids. But the guy that's with him, Alberto, which is one of Sosa's henchmen, is going to do it anyway. He's going to 
He's readying the bomb. It keeps telling him to get closer, and Tony won't do it. So finally, Tony just flips out, pulls out his gun, and kills the guy in the passenger seat. Of course. And, and I love that he keeps lecturing him after he's already dead. Like, you want me to do this? Now look at you. <laughs> like, he can't, he can't look at him. But since the mission's called off, the guy does the speech that he wasn't supposed to do, and now... And now Tony's got to die. Tony's got to die. So he he hasn't seen Manny and Gina in a while, so he actually finds them together, realizes that they got married secretly and are together, so he kills Manny, and Gina flips out. But it's okay because he takes Gina back to his place while he prepares for war. And all devastated and everything, she kind of just loses her mind right there and starts shooting at Tony. But while this is happening, his compound's under siege. Guy climbs up to the balcony and kills her. And that's it. Tony loses his mind, and we have the big shootout scene. Say hello to my little friend. So all of Sosa's men come to invade the place. Uh, he, he actually holds up pretty well, being that he's by himself, because he loses every one of his guards. And he kills... He kills at least 20 people by himself until the dude with the shotgun and the sunglasses sneaks up behind him and shoots him into his own fountain right in front Which of the... splashes up blood before he's fully landed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the world is yours, it says. It sure is. Um, yeah, oh, this yeah. Is a... He's got the freaking neon signs in the house. Of course. Uh, this is a very, very intense movie. Uh, very well done. Uh, it's one of the quintessential gangster films. And it's it's a good movie. It's definitely worth watching. It's got, it's got all the buildup that you want for the film. You know, the guy who starts out as nothing, you go through the whole story and you see all the pieces turning. It's a long movie. It's almost three hours in length, but it doesn't really feel that way because it moves along at a decent pace for a for an early 80s movie, so it's one that I recommend. So here's some fun trivia about Scarface. Uh, Ooh, trivia <laughs> time. The most interesting part of this is uh, director Brian De Palma submitted the film to the MPAA, and they gave it an X rating. He's like, damn it. All right, so he makes some cuts, does it again. It gets an X rating again. And one of the reasons that they gave was because Octavio the Clown was shot too many times. So he's like, all right, makes another few cuts, and again, it gets an X rating. So now he's pissed. He's like, all right, I'm not doing this any further just to get it for an R. So he and the producer, Martin Bergman, arranged to have this hearing, and they brought in this huge panel of experts, including real narcotics officers, who stated that the film was an accurate portrayal of real life in the drug underworld and should be widely seen. So the 20 members voted and gave the film an R rating with a vote of 18 to 2. But Del Paso, or uh, Del Palma was like, you know, if that third cut was going to get an R, then the first cut should have only been an R, too. So, unbeknownst to the studio, he released his very first cut. And nobody noticed until it was released on video cassette. Until video? Jeez. Yeah, nobody noticed. And that's when he finally came out and was like, yep, that was the original version. 
they re-released Scarface in 2003, and the studio went to Brian Del Palma, and they're like, hey, a lot of rap songs were influenced by this movie. Can you change the soundtrack? And he's like, no. <laughs> uh, the movie was written by Oliver Stone while he was fighting a cocaine addiction. So, yeah. Uh, Robert De Niro was, of course, offered the role but turned it down because he didn't want to be typecasted in that type of role. Well, because <laughs> he totally never played another gangster again. You know what? You know who did that, and it was the death of their career. Uh, Bella Lugosi. Oh yeah, he didn't want to be a Frankenstein monster because he didn't want to be typecast, and it, and he didn't have any lines. <laughs> And so Boris Karloff became the new god of horror. Yeah, it's true. Um, so you know that scene where the female's distracting Manny in the lookout car? Her name was Tammy Lynn Lepper, and she disappeared on July 6th of that year under suspicious circumstances and was never heard from again. So, life imitating art? Oh, she even before the movie even came out, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, an international corporation set up by Saddam Hussein to launder money from various enterprises was it called Montana Management. <laughs> so I guess Saddam was a fan of the movie. Um, Miriam Cologne, who plays Tony's mother, is only four years older than Al Pacino. And the word yayo used by Tony Montana is slang word for cocaine. This word was actually not in the script. It was ad-libbed by Pacino during the first drug deal scene. And Brian De Palma liked it enough to keep it throughout the film. Because you know how he learned it? While well, he was learning his Cuban accent. And uh, just for those gun enthusiasts who might be listening to the show, uh, Tony's little friend is an M16 assault rifle with an M203 40mm grenade launcher attached to the barrel. But I'm sure people already knew that. <laughs> also, Tony kind of messed up a little bit at the end, or I should say Al Pacino messed up. He grabbed the gun by the barrel for the final shootout se sequence, and his hand got badly burned, so they actually had to stop production for a few weeks. Ouch. Oh, and the guy who throws the grappling hook, that one scene was actually directed by Steven Spielberg, because he just happened to be visiting the set at the time. <laughs> All right. Uh, and now do the scene with the throws a grappling hook. Okay. And of course, because because we always have to get this trivia in all these movies, 42 is your body count. You know that number that's the <laughs> the meaning of everything? Oh, yes, it is. Maybe we should... I'm actually reading that book, so maybe after I finish this, the reading it, we can review the movie. I've never actually seen the movie. Oh, so, yeah. uh... Thank you to Big Jan Batista for the recommendation. That was for your birthday. Big Jan. I hope you had a very happy birthday, and I hope you enjoyed this this episode. And, because Jan is the master of the hashtags, hashtag happy birthday, Jan Batista. So, we're going to continue January with more listener requests. Uh, next week, we're going to review Fanboys. That comes from listener Matt Hardman, also a regular listener of the Club Cafe podcast and a member of the community. As you know, Fanboys is, of course, Star Wars related, so we're going to be geeking out a little bit more about Star Wars. Star Wars. In fact, uh, Episode 7 was screened 
to a cancer patient who passed away shortly after he got a chance to see the movie. And uh, what's the plot of fanboys? Their friend's dying of cancer, so they're going to sneak him in so you can see The Phantom Menace. But of course, we'll be reviewing that next week. And then the week after, we'll finish up January with our last listener request movie, which of course is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is so bad that it's good. And uh, you'll get to hear our opinion of that. That, of course, was suggested by Mike Irizarry of the Pie Crust. Yeah. Who does the show album art for Talk and Talkie. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate the suggestion. And I would appreciate it if you would proofread your emails. (laughs) All right. So until next week, that's Dan. I'm Chris. And next week, we're going to talk some fanboys. See ya.